KMTT, Kimitzion Taitse Torah. You are listening to the Erev Shabbat program. Kaf Aleph, Adar Sheni, Erev Shabbat Kodesh, Parshat Shemini, Parshat HaShavua, Parshat HaShavua, Parshat Shemini, as we said, and Parshat Para as well. The Erev Shabbat program is Lilui Nishmat Shlomo Yosef Ben Chaim Shmuel. In addition, we would like to dedicate the Erev Shabbat program to his grandson, Shmuel, who will be getting married this coming week on Tuesday. Shabbat Chatan is offered for the Shabbat. And to his, Shlomo Yosef ben Chaim Shmuel's great-grandson, who was born last Shabbat on Shushan Purim, and this Shabbat will be his Yom Hashmini, and we wish him a refuah shleima, and that he should have a brit milah as soon as possible, he should get out of the hospital as soon as possible. And so, those are our dedications, and now, to the Yom Hashmini. Vahib bayom Hashmini. Interesting that we par- call the parsha Shmini, but if we are careful to see what it says in the parsha, it's Hashemini. We should call it Hashemini, Parshat Hashemini. And this Yom Hashemini is, in fact, the quintessential Yom Hashemini. It is the ultimate Yom Hashemini, and it is ultimate in the sense of the roller coaster of emotions that transpire on this Yom Hashmini, on this eighth day. This is the eighth day of the Miluim, of the dedication of the Mishkan. This is the day after seven days of preparation. This is the eighth day. This is the day that the Mishkan becomes operative. No longer is Moshe acting as the Kohen, but Aharon is now acting as the Kohen Agadol and his sons. And on this day, this is the day, the culmination of those seven days, this is the day that is meant to be the day of Gilui Shechina, God will reveal Himself in the Mishkan, and by revealing Himself, show us that He has forgiven Am Yisrael for Chet Egel, for the sin of the golden calf, at least to the extent that He is willing to reveal Himself amongst B'nai Yisrael, with Aharon HaKohen as the Kohen Gadol, despite his role within Chet HaEgel. This is a day of great tension then, because the day where if everything is done okay, then there will be a revelation of God, and if not, perhaps not. And Chazal and in Rashi, there's this description of this tension. What will happen? What's going? What's what's delaying the Gilui Shechina? Did something go wrong? And finally, we reach the point. Vayavom Moshe Aaron in Pasuk of Gimel. Vayavom Moshe Aaron Elohel Moed. Vayitzu Vayivarchut Am Vayirachavod Adonai El Kol Am. Moshe and Aaron left the old Moed and they came out to bless the, the people. 
and God's glory was revealed to the entire nation. How so? Presumably in the next pasuk. A fire came out from before God and it consumed on the Mizbech, the Ola, the burnt offering, the fats of the Korbanot. The entire nation saw this and they rejoiced. And they fell on their faces. A day of extreme, almost I would almost describe it as ecstasy, Vayaronu is an expression of happiness which is almost unparalleled. It's an extreme rejoicing, and rightfully so. A nation that's gone through all of this ups and downs of Yitziat Mitzrayim, and then Chet Egel after Matan Torah, and now they're waiting after they've put their heart and soul into the Mishkan, will God accept their Chazarabi Tshuva? Will God accept their Avodah? And here, God reveals Himself, and there's an extreme Bayaronu, extreme feeling of overjo- overjoying. And they pull up in the hem, and they fall on their faces. And then, along with this Aish, and perhaps... With the same age, the same fire, Vatetze age. When Aaron's children, Nadav Avihu, bring this uncommanded Ketoret into the Mishkan, Vatetze age milifnei Hashem. The same Vatetze age milifnei Hashem that we read about three psukim earlier, two psukim earlier. Again, Vatetze age milifnei Hashem. Vatochal otam vayamutu lifnei Hashem. An age comes out from before God, perhaps that same fire, it consumed them, and they died in front of God. And now, we're suddenly dealing with taking out their bodies. Who is to mourn for their death? We are told that Aaron and his sons are not to mourn because they are in the middle of the dedication ceremony in the Mishkan. And now we are already talking about Bechi crying, mourning over the, the burning that God burnt. What a vision! A fire, perhaps the same fire comes down from the heavens, from Hashem, and consumes. It consumes the offerings on the Mizbeach. It consumes Nadav Avihu. And one consumption... And one reaction of the Hashem is Vayaronu, overjoy, rejoicing, ecstasy perhaps. And another result of Vatetzeish and Vatochal and the consumption is Yivkuat Hasrifa, crying, mourning. What an emotional roller coaster! 
What an unbelievable feeling of mixed emotions that B'nai Israel are experiencing simultaneously on this day of extreme happiness and of mourning. The death of Nadav Avihu, our own sons. Perhaps this is one of the strong, most, the strongest perhaps expression of the mixture of feelings that a Jew can experience. Because we were discussing Vayaronu and Yivkut HaSrifah simultaneously, the same Eish, the same consumption, consuming the Korbanot, consuming Nadava Vihu, leading us to Vayaronu and leading us to Yivkut HaSrifah. This is not the only Yom HaShmini. We have another Yom HaShmini in next week's Parsha. Uvayom HaShemini Yimol Besar Olato. And on the eighth day, the foreskin will be circumcised. We are commanded on the eighth day to circumcise our sons when they are born. And what do we have here? We have a day of extreme happiness. A day where we are happy that we are bringing our, ch- our sons into the Brit with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to a covenant with God. And at the same time, with this extreme happiness, the Halacha notes, that we don't say Shasimcha Bimono, that we say when we have a wedding because of Tsar Diyanuka, the child is suffering. And the child is suffering is not a technical issue. Certainly the parents feel the stress that they are giving over their son to cut off their foreskin. Perhaps a, a standard procedure, but not a simple thing. And we see in Chazal, and we see in Psukim in the Torah, specifically regarding the incident with Moshe Rabbeinu and his son, this idea of the Brit Milah being an idea of a korban, of a sacrifice. When we give over our sons into the Brit, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Va'amar Lach Chayi, that means there's going to be, they are committing themselves to the Jewish faith with all the difficulties of being a Jew, with all the commitment. <clears throat> and perhaps in the fullest meaning of the terms, not a simple day, not a simple emotion, a happy day, mixed in there with worrying, hesitation, suffering. And we move on into Parshat Emor. Shor ochesev oez ki valed vayashivat yamim tachat imo uyom ashmini vahala yeiratze lekorban ishe vadunai. When an ox or a sheep or a goat is born, it is kept with its mother 
for seven seven days, and from the eighth day and onward, it can be accepted as a korban. Many discussions about the meaning of this mitzvah of keeping a newborn animal with its mother for seven days, and only from the eighth day can it be accepted as a korban. Is this some sort of feeling for the mother? If we go according to the simple pshat, perhaps that's what we're saying. Keeping in mind that the Rambam and the Ramban and the Maharal wrote about this mitzvah as what what is going on here? Is this some sort of feeling of rachmanut, of pity for the animal? Let the mother have the baby for seven days. Let the mother be with its child, and on the eighth day it can be taken to be sacrificed. And certainly from our human perspective, we can see this mixed feeling again. The animal can reach no higher status within Jewish thought than being brought on the altar, on the Mizbeach, as a sacrifice. It's being brought to God. On the other hand, this young animal, its life is being ended, its time with its mother is being ended, and though we can't go into the head of the animal, and this is what much of the discussion of the Ramban and the Rambam and the Maharal discuss, there is this human viewpoint of the situation that here we have a mother and its child the child that was just born seven days earlier, and it's being taken away. And once again, this mixed feeling. And the mixed feelings of happiness, mixed with a tinge of sadness, or perhaps more than a tinge, follow us throughout the life cycles. Because a parent who is there at their child's bar or bat mitzvah, a very happy day, without any reservations, the parent stands there and looks at their child and says, how they've grown up. I remember when I could carry them on my shoulders. I remember where I would, they would crawl into my bed to sleep. And even more so, on the day of the wedding, biyom simchat libo, a day of happiness without... Any, any doubt, and yet, how many parents shed a tear thinking that their child is now leaving the house and they won't be living there anymore. They'll come to visit, they'll be there, but that full house that was once very full, it's just not as full as it used to be. And though there'll be the Chagim, and then everybody will come they're with their spouses and their children and it will be even more crowded than it ever was in the past. That's fleeting. And there is that feeling of a twinge of sadness that what once was will not be anymore and a new reality is kicking in. And this is Shmini. This is dealing with that roller coaster of emotions, of happiness, mixed with different levels of sadness. And with that thought, we'll continue after we hear Rav Tavori.
This Shabbos, Chav Bez Adar Sheni, is the yard site of the Aruch HaShulchan, Rav Michal Epstein. As a matter of fact, according to most historians, this is actually the 100th yard site of the Aruch HaShulchan, who passed away, according to most historians, in 1908. Rav Michal Epstein from the family of Levim, was born into a family who were basically business people. To the best of my knowledge, he did not learn in any traditional yeshiva, grew up as was common in those times that he learned in the local base medrash. And it does not seem apparent who his main rabbanim were. But what we know about him is mostly from the Sfarim that he wrote. He became a Rav in a community at a fairly young age, but then moved to Nevardik, where he became famous as the Posek of Nevardik, the Rav of Nevardik, and he was instrumental in building up the Nevardik community, which, as is well known, was the great Musa community. The Sefer, Aruch HaShulchan, was written in the time that he was in the Vardik. He married a daughter, a sister of the, of the Nitziv, and was then, of course, related to what we call the Beis Harav. He began to write the Aruch HaShulchan and printed it piecemeal. The Sefer Aruch HaShulchan is today considered a classic in the world of Halacha Svarim and very often is compared on Arachayim to the Mishnah Bura. But there is a big difference in their whole approach, whereas the Mishnah Bura took the Shulchan Aruch as the text which he printed on the page and wrote his comments specifically about the Halachas of the, of the Shulchan Aruch, the Aruch HaShulchan decided to learn the halacha from the sources itself. In the introduction to the Aruch HaShulchan, he quotes the Maharsha and other people who were opposed to paskling halacha, to deciding halacha, just from handbooks. And he said the way to really learn is to go from the original sources, show how the sugya develops, until we come to the Rishonim, the Achronim, and to the Poskim. And the Aruch HaShulchan does, did this consistently, in every topic of halacha. What's remarkable about the Aruch HaShulchan is that how much he accomplished. He encompassed the entire Shulchan Aruch, all four halakim. Although today we don't have every siman printed, it seems that it was printed piecemeal, it was written and printed that way, but there are parts that we still don't have. His daughter was the one who printed some of the Chalakim, and in a letter that she wrote, she explained that she did not have enough money to pay for all the volumes that she still had, and she even asked for a sponsor who could help print the rest of the Svarim. Recently, 
some additional svarim of the Arach HaShulchan have really, have really been printed. The, for example, the Chelek on Shavuos Nedarim was not in the original Arach HaShulchan, and today a separate volume came out, the ninth volume of the Arach HaShulchan came out on those topics. Assuming, assumedly, the sections that are still missing the Arach HaShulchan still exist, and maybe someday will be printed. The fact that the Aruch HaShulchan did this entire massive work on the entire Shulchan Aruch, going from the original sources through the Rishonim, Achronim, till the Postkim, is a remarkable achievement in the scope of the work. The comparison that I said to the Mishnah Bura, of course, was in the world of Arachayim. But the, whereas the Mishnah Bura only printed Arachayim, the Aruch HaShulchan has the entire gamut of halacha from beginning to the end. On Arachayim itself, lately an edition has been printed of the Aruch HaShulchan, which has comments or the psakim of the Mishnah Bura included in it. There is a Svarim blog, which is available on the internet for people who are interested, who will see a number of comments on Aruch HaShulchan, and some people have expressed criticism of putting the Mishnah Bura together with the Aruch HaShulchan, as if one needs the other for corroboration. There are two independent Svarim. It's true that in the yeshiva world, somehow the Mishnah Bura and Aruch Haim was the most accepted Sefer. Nevertheless, in certain traditions, in Brisk, for example, the merit of the Aruch HaShulchan, or the importance of him, of his Sefer Psak, was considered greater than the Mishnah Bura. Rabbi Henkin, who has written a few volumes of Chuvas, Sheilotu Chivot Bnei Banim, quoted his eminent grandfather, Zichrono Levracha, Harav Henkin of New York, as explaining that the Aruch HaShulchan is a more authoritative safer than the Mishnah Bura. Some of the reasons are that the Aruch HaShulchan really did deal with the sources from beginning to the end, and he shows the entire development, and therefore it's easier to understand the entire concept. Besides that, the Aruch HaShulchan was actually a Rav in a town, and therefore he had a lot of experience in Psak, whereas the Mishnah Bura, where the Chafetz Chaim, was of course the great Sadiq of his generation, and it's, it's obvious that he was a major Tamil Chacham, but he did not serve as the Rabbi of a community, and therefore his... Um, expertise in Psak was related to Svarim rather than not, o- not only Svarim, but even in personal relations in discussing Psak with people. And as we said, the Aruch HaShulchan was the Rav of Navardik, and it's the Rav Navardik had experience in asking questions what people asked. Not only was he a, a writer, but he was also a Rav of the town. When I say that the gamut of the Shulchan Aruch, of the Aruch HaShulchan, is so wide, it seems obvious to us that someone who could write the entire Shulchan Aruch, all the areas, and cover them, again with this massive book going from the earliest sources to the end, is a remarkable achievement. But besides that, the Aruch HaShulchan also dealt with the areas of Halacha that are not quoted in the Shulchan Aruch, that are not discussed in the Shulchan Aruch. And he said, we have to have a Shulchan Aruch not just on what is actually relevant to but we have to have 
what he called the Aruch HaShulchan HaAtid, the Aruch HaShulchan of the future, the Aruch HaShulchan which relates to halachas that don't apply at the present time, or at his time they did not apply so much, but it, eventually we hope that these halachas will be used on a daily basis. For example, he published a few volumes, Aruch HaShulchan HaAtid on Taharos, Aruch HaShulchan on Kachim, the areas which unfortunately are not really in practice today, but they are Torah, and we hope that they will be practiced. His Sefer on Zraim today is used again, as Shemitah became an, an Indian of Trumas and Masters became important again in Eretz Israel. so the Aruch HaShulchan's use, the use of the Aruch HaShulchan has increased. The Aruch HaShulchan on Zraim. The set of Aruch HaShulchan He'atid was not published until Mossad Rav Kook printed it, and for many years it was very hard to get a copy, and then, Aruch, then Mossad Rav Kook reprinted it in a very nice edition, so today it's rather easy to buy an entire set of Aruch HaShulchan, to buy a set of Aruch HaShulchan He'atid, and as I said, the extra volume of Hilchus Shavuos and Darim is also available. Besides all that work, the Aruch HaShulchan has a very famous Perush on Haggadah, which is a small sefer which contains certain gems that are is, has been printed and reprinted many times. The sefer that he wrote, apparently the first sefer he ever wrote, was a Perush that he wrote on Sefer HaYashav Rabbeinu Tam. In the introduction to the first volume of, Chosh, of Aruch HaShulchan, as I said, the first volume of, Choshen, of Aruch HaShulchan was actually the volume of Choshen Mishpat, and he gives there an explanation why he chose that as the first volume. The Aruch HaShulchan there said his name, the author of the Sefer Hayash, the Perush on the Sefer Hayashar of Rabbeinu Tam. So we see that that was an early Sefer that he wrote, and that Sefer also had not been too available until recently. Recently, a new sefer has been printed that calls, that is called Kol Kitve Aruch HaShulchan. The Kol Kitve Aruch HaShulchan includes in it the sefer on Rabbeinu Tam, on the sefer Ayashin Rabbeinu Tam. It also includes drashos made by the Aruch HaShulchan, and it also has Sheilot Shuvot that would that were written to him that he answered. This sefer. Kol Kitvei Aruch HaShulchan is a fairly recent sefer, and those people who are curious can find out about it on that same Svarim blog that I mentioned before, which has a lot of the information that I have brought to your attention. In his memory, I would like to quote one idea of the Aruch HaShulchan, and it's really difficult to choose from any Sefer, when we're talking about Torah from the beginning to the end, but I'll discuss for a, a brief moment a Chiddush that he said that's printed in Hilchus Tefillin. The discussion of how many brachos to make on Tefillin shall Yad and Tefillin shall Rosh is well known from the days of the Rishonim. Some Rishonim say you make only one bracha on the Tefillin shall Yad, and some Rishonim say you make two brachas, one in Tefillin Shalyad and one in Tefillin Shalrosh. I think the common practice is, of Ashkenazi Jewry, that we make a bracha Tefillin Shalyad, Asher Laniach Tefillin, and then on the Tefillin Shalrosh we make another bracha Amitzvah Tefillin. 
And the custom is to say, Baruch Shem Kvad Malchusol Olam Vlad, immediately afterwards, as if it may be a suffix, if you can make that bracha, and therefore it might be a bracha vatala, and therefore we say, Baruch Shem Kvad Malchusol Olam Vlad. The psak, or machloket, if you make one bracha or two brachas, is a topic of concern, what is the source of the machlokas? The general interpretation that people had thought was that if there's one mitzvah called tefillin, then you would make one bracha. But if there's two mitzvahs, uh, there's a separate mitzvah of tefillin shayad and tefillin shalrush, and another mitzvah of tefillin shalrush, then you'd make two brachas. This perush seems untenable. Because, for example, the Rambam thinks you only make one bracha, and the Ram thinks there are two mitzvahs. There's a separate mitzvah, Tfil Shayad, Tfil Shalrash. Tosas, on the other hand, thinks you make two brachas, but he thinks it's all, it happens to be one mitzvah. So, it doesn't seem to work out. So, why should you make two brachas? Besides that, many people have asked the question, it seems very strange that because of the machlokas, whether you make two brachas or one bracha, we have decided to make two brachas, but since we're not sure, so we say, Baruch Shem Kvad It seems that in no other case would we say there's a, a question about making a bracha. We'll make the bracha and we'll say, Baruch Shem Kvad just to cover our, all the bases. That would seem very strange. We have a principle, Savik Brachas Lahakel. And therefore, if you have a Savik, you do not make the bracha. Where did you come across a case where you would make the bracha and then say, Baruch Shem just in case it was a bracha l'batala. So the Aruch HaShulchan suggests um, that basically the bracha on mitzvah's tefillin is not a regular bracha on the mitzvah. It's a bracha on the concept of a tefillin shalrosh. The tefillin shalrosh is not just a, a regular mitzvah, but it has in it something special. The Gemara says on the Pasuk, kol alecha, that we see the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu on you. That's Tefillin Shabarosh. When a person puts in the Tefillin Shabarosh, it's almost as if he brings Kvot Shamayim, Malcho Shamayim is on his head. He reflects Malcho Shamayim. So just to make it very brief, what the Aruch HaShulchan seems to be saying is that the bracha al mitzvah's tefillin is not a bracha on the mitzvah. It's on the very fact that a, that it's a it's like a birchas hashavach. It's not like a birchas hamitzvah. It's a birchas hashavach that I become a person who shame Hashem nikra alav. It it changes as it were almost the personality of the person and the epitome of describing such as a case would, would be to say, Baruch Shem Kvad Machusel When there's a Gilui, when there's an appearance of Kvot Shemayim in this world, so the correct response would be to say, Baruch Shem Kvad Machusel So I don't say Baruch Shem Kvad Machusel because it's a, it might be a Baruch Matala. I say it's a Baruch Shem Kvad Machusel because this is what Tfilin Shalrosh symbolizes. Rav Salavechik has a, a, a similar idea that I heard from him. But you can see this clearly in the Aruch HaShulchan in his parish. Of course, I just chose one Chiddush of the Aruch HaShulchan from the entire Sefer. Again, it's just remarkable to see how prolific the Aruch HaShulchan was in encompassing the entire Torah from beginning to end, both in the Aruch HaShulchan and the Aruch HaShulchan HaAtid. 
these Svarim have lasted for for the hundred years since his yard site, and they will continue to be part of the Yeshiva based Medrash, part of the Tamil Chachm's library for many, many years to come. Thank you very much, Rav Tavori. What are we trying to say here? Are we trying to depress ourselves? Every sadness is mixed in, every happiness, pardon me, is mixed in with sadness. Am I attempting to depress the listeners? Is that what Judaism has to say about happiness? Perhaps. We don't. We are not able in this world to fill our mouths with laughter. There's always something holding us back. And certainly we see it's machot. And at times, remembering Yerushalayim at simcha is more painful and less painful, depending on how well Yerushalayim is doing at a given time. With all of that, I think there is a perspective issue, and that our lives are indeed full of varying emotions. And we have to know, with everything that we are given, we have to know how to say thank you, and we have to know to point to the good, and we have to know to be happy when we're supposed to be happy. And perhaps the strongest example of this is the famous Gemara discussing the Chizkiyahu HaMelech, when the great miracle happened, and the Malach Hashem killed 180,000 Assyrian soldiers who were just about to put a siege on Jerusalem. And they were wiped out in one night. And the Gemara said, Ad Melech said Ashira, at that moment he would have been Melech HaMashiach. And we all ask ourselves, we read the Tanakh and we say, how could Chizkiyahu Melech not have said Ashira? Did he not see the great miracle? He was praying for this, he was hoping for this. And then when we all look around at the stories, and we understand that Yerushalayim, Venotrabatzion Kisuka Becharem, it was perhaps one of the last standing cities in Yehuda. The Assyrian Empire walked walked into Yehuda and 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 brought great destruction. And Yerushalayim was saved from that destruction. But look at the destruction around us. And Chizkiyahu, in his mixed feelings of happiness for this being of Yerushalayim being saved, and sadness for the destruction around him he was not able to say a shira. And we have to know, and it is our duty, as Jews, as human beings, who want to deal with life, with all its ups and downs, if we want to deal with it in a healthy way, in a way that we're expected to, we have to know to be able to hold on to those happy moments, at the happiness of the happy moments. To be able to say a shira on all the Yemei Hashmini. To be able to say a shira that God revealed Himself on this day. To be able to say a shira that God saved Yerushalayim even if He didn't save some of the other cities. To be able to say a shira at our children, at our sons' britot, at their brit milahs, 
that they're coming into the covenant with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to be able to say a shirat, a shirat or children's bar, b'nei mitzvah, that they're coming into the obligation of the mitzvot, and the happiness of that, and to be able to say a shirat when our children leave our house to get married, because they're getting married and they're moving on in their lives, and they're building a bayin Naman bi Israel, and they are having more children and expanding Am Yisrael. We have to learn at these moments of happiness that are mixed with sadness. And inevitably, they seem to be mixed with some element of sadness, not to hold on to the sadness, but to hold on to the happiness. May we all be Zoha to have smachot, and to appreciate the simcha of our smachot, and to have the feeling of vayaronu, to be full of, full of joy at our smachot, and appreciate the moments that we are in. Shabbat Shalom.